Let me welcome you to the session on Singles Thriving in Missions. All right. Um, but as we get started, I want to do just a little uh, scope of the room. And one thing, please tell me if uh, you are a current student. Raise your hand. Let's see how many students I have. Okay. If you are a current mission, in a mission position, raise your hand. Okay. Good. Um, anyone in here, you're like on home assignment in, bet- in between, but you've been on the field? Can I see your hand? Okay. Great. Great. That helps me to know uh, which levels, and I'll try to vary on levels because I want to try to incorporate everyone, and at the end, I'll also give time for Q&A. Can you hear me well enough? Just doing a sound check. Okay. All right, because I can't hear anything up here. All right. My name is Ronnie, Ronnie Pruitt, or Rhonda, and, um, and uh, I am just going to point out two things, uh, but you can read this yourself, but... Basically, why am I here talking to you about singles? Number one is because I am single, and I uh, have had to make the journey how to be very uh, positive and understand singleness uh, as God, I think, is wanting to create in me a contentment with this season in my life. And, um, but also, uh, I'm a field missionary, and out of that, uh, for about 10 years, I always said, there needs to be something for singles. There really needs to be something out here for singles. Because uh, I was always among one or two singles in a sea of married people. And uh, so I started a missionary care retreat. It's called Single Vision. And, uh, been doing that now, uh, going on 15 years this year. We're still the only singles retreat, only for single missionaries. And um, I also, just so you know, I also worked and helped lead a retreat uh, precisely for married missionaries with children. So I'm not biased, okay? <laughs> but I did want us to have something that was going to talk t- uh, to singles directly, where we're at and what God's doing in our life. And also, uh, just so you know, um, ever how God's leading you and speaking to you in your life about marriage and what I have found over the years, when you get very, very content being single, guess what? God sends someone for you to marry. And, um, <laughs> and um, But the only thing Scripture says about singleness is be content. doesn't say you need to be married. and doesn't say you need to be single. Although Paul said he preferred that we would be single as he was because you could do ministry. But it doesn't speak one or the other. I think the principle that God's striving for for us is contentment and saying, Lord, I serve you fully today with where I'm at in my journey with you. But if you, you know, I, I acknowledge uh, good, they're good Christian and healthy marriages. In fact, I am a consultant helping to design the first uh, dating website, <laughs> we shouldn't call it dating, we call it relational connections website, um, for missionaries. So this one's for missionaries and people interested in missions. Uh, it's 
www.calledtogether.us. Um, so, welcome, and um, I just want to orientate you where we're going in the session. I'm going to talk about three supports and three challenges for singles in missions today, and I'm going to be looking at these categories. So each category I come to, I will give three I'll give the three support, the support and challenge of each area. Um, but let me start out by saying there's never been a better time in human history to be in missions than today. You and I have more opportunity that no one preceded us has had. Today, we are seeing the rapid expansion of the kingdom of God. In my short little lifetime, I served and unknowingly was a part of seeing the bamboo curtain fall, the iron curtain fall, and I will go on record today saying in my lifetime, in our lifetime, the third one will fall. It's called the Crescent Veil. And I, what I've experienced in my life, missionaries that preceded me built the pathway that I walk on, but they never experienced the fruit we see today. If you look at China, and I was a missionary in China, but mainland China, the expansion of the kingdom of God is beyond belief. In fact, a lot of people today, if you stand back and estimate it, there's probably more Christians in mainland China today than there are people in America. That's hard to believe in. Look at South America. Today, the church is booming in a lot of places in South America. Look at places now that are sending missionaries. Do you know we are not the number one mission-sending region of the world anymore? America's not. You know who the number one is? Asia. You got it. South Korea. is The Asian countries surpassed us this year as being sending the largest number of missionaries. Did you think we would see that in our lifetime? I just want to encourage you because... We are in an environment uh, that our forefathers and people who preceded us did not experience. And um, basically, we're talking about an opportunity before us for the gospel, as Andrew Wall says, to be sent from anywhere to everywhere. From anywhere to everywhere, and that's what I feel like the dynamic is that we're seeing in the local church, especially in North America. It's from anywhere to everywhere. And good news, good news, very good news. Missions is more acceptable and accessible than ever before to singles. That was not true, that was not true in 1970. That was not true in 1980. It only, we started to see major changes 
in singles being given a place to serve in missions in the 1990s. In fact, the history of missions is you always see the pendulum that swings, right? It used to be, if you go back to the ancient church fathers, it was only singles who could be clergy. It was only singles who could be missionaries. Then, in the last 200 years, which has been the Protestant missionary movement, uh, we really went to the other extreme. And if you applied as a missionary between 1920 to 1980, or even 1990, it was the other end. We are only going to send married people and families. And they would just tell people, no, we're not accepting single applicants. And you stood there and you thought, really, you know, or they would give you another excuse, but you went away very puzzled. And I know a lot of people today in America, I know several singles who are not in missions today because when they applied, they were turned down because they were single. I want to tell you, I have some very good news for you. Because our opportunity today is I feel like the pendulum is somewhere back in the middle. Today, you can be in missions, and it doesn't matter what your marital status is. Um, And agencies are welcoming singles. And, in fact, the amount of singles in missions has doubled. Doubled. If you look at, it's about between 15, 25% you would have found to be single missionaries looking at from 1970 to 1990. It would have been 15 to 25 percent, depending on the mission organization, okay? Because in traditional mission organizations, especially denominational mission organizations, are going to be more traditional. Non-traditional organizations are outside of denominational structures and more loosely structured. They tend to have more singles. And that number today, uh, I don't know who said it to me, actually, while we were here in this room, uh, about half of the missionaries are single. I say, yeah, it depends on what mission you go to. That would be a very correct statement. Uh, But if you look across the board, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of every mission, even traditional or non-traditional, you're going to have somewhere between 35 45% of missionaries are going to be single in the mission agency. Well, what has caused this shift? Um, Well, thank God. (laughs) Thank God. Okay. That's all I can say. And all of you jump up and say, hallelujah. Um, Usually our issue with us being single is not really the issue is not us, right? You know that, right? You've got parents, you have people at your church, and you have friends. And they're more worried about you being single than you are. And uh, <laughs> you actually may have even reached contentment, but they haven't, okay? Um, and a lot of pressure is put on you. Um, and I think the pressure hits really hard when a woman, for women, when they get in their mid to late 30s, real 
pressure gets on. So if you get between that 35 to 40 mark, you're home free, okay? Uh, but if uh, if you're male, a lot of pressure gets put on you anytime you get with a three in front of your name. The pressure three o, you know, 30 above starts building, and once a male hits 40, then real pressure hits him. And uh, it's very unfair what we do to single males in the missions community and in society in general. I find it, uh, I don't want to use the word abusive, but I do think, I've heard things being said to single males. I think it's very unfair. Um, and, but I want to say to you, I don't think there's impediment for us being in missions today. So you have opportunity. But our pressure that we feel is usually that pressure can be matched. Our internal pressure reflects our external pressure, right? That's the issue. So the external pressure is being let up a little bit, okay? Meaning our internal pressure goes down a bit. And you can breathe. And you can say, wow, I can take a season of my life and just go to missions and not worry about uh, being married, if that's part of your thinking and where God's leading you. Um, but just know that this is a time as you're going into missions and considering missions, I want to talk about what are the, about the environment and what are the challenges. And you already know it's safety. You've already heard the speakers in the main plenary sessions is safety. Everyone is thinking about safety uh, in the 21st century. And we're especially thinking about safety given that 85% of singles are female because you heard the speaker last night. I don't know what you visions and images uh, and pictures that came in your mind as we listened to the lady last night who was taken hostage. but the whole time, and I even went to sleep last night pondering a question because she never discussed it. I wanted to know, was she violated? And she never said it. And I was worried. So I want to speak for a moment here, pause. Mission administrators and people leading mission organizations, if they come across like they're trying to protect you, there's a good reason. And so don't always have a negative response to that. They really have a heart concern for you. But that is our major environmental challenge is, is risk. And we all know that war and religious tension and natural disasters that we experience today that we did not experience 30, 40, 50 years ago. In fact, you know what? An elderly elderly uh, missionary said to me who went out in the 1950s, she was a, a married missionary, and she said, you know, I am so glad I could go out and serve as a missionary in the 1950s. She said, because if I had to go today, I'm not sure I would go. Because in 1950, your main concern was about getting sick. It was health concerns. Today, being in missions, even though many of you are studying and or may already be medical professionals, that is not our number one concern. Our number one concern is our physical safety. 
And today in missions, it's not, it's a very crisis in trauma-driven, and it's not the question, will things happen to us? Rather, in missions, we use the language to say, when it happens. So when I'm doing pre-field training for missionaries, I, I plan for them to be robbed. I plan for them to have a lot of things stolen from them. I, I just plan for a lot of these things. This is normal life. And I just hope that, no, they don't get taken hostage or something very serious like that. But what I call low-level challenge, I know when I was missionary in Hungary, it was after I was robbed the third time that I had this pause. Hmm, maybe I live in the wrong place or something. You know, why they keep targeting me? Um, and so I consider some changes. But as we look about look at the challenges uh, in this division, uh, we have to look at what are the infrastructure changes in shifting the support from the mission itself. And I'm saying to you uh, that we are seeing an increase in support from mission agencies. In fact, the structure on the field is becoming more supportive also of singles. Uh, I don't want to mention the name team because if I say team in this, world, in this room, everyone will have a different mental picture that comes to mind because it's a generalistic term and it's not precise. So I always have to, I almost don't even want to bring up that topic because what does team mean to you? Because it means something different to everybody else. Um, but it is possible to go and be in a context where you're working with a group of colleagues and you're not individually assigned alone. Uh, in times past, that was not the case. At, the, at best, you got assigned maybe with one other single on your field. So now it's possible to be with a group of people and not be isolated and have other colleagues and work within a network. Um, so a big, huge um, support for missionaries today. Although you need to investigate anybody who's talking about a team, what do they mean and what does that mean to them? Team can mean we meet once a week for prayer. That's a team. And I don't see you again till next week, prayer meeting. Our team can mean we do every ministry project together. Um, so team can mean a lot of things. Um, but as we think about the mission agency today, um, I want to talk about a weakness. One weakness that has been there, and we have addressed and been able to challenge and improve a lot of areas, so I, I'm in, I have confidence we'll be able to overcome this hurdle and challenge as well. But in the past, and there's still challenge today, of single missionaries to receive equal membership on the field. And I think this is, often comes from a lack of awareness um, and leadership, field leadership or leadership in the mission uh, back home, wherever that is, uh, does not have an awareness of a bias. Um, but 
what I am calling for, my motto is, a missionary is a missionary, and all are equal. Equal in voice, in decision-making, equal in treatment. No favors are given. And policy that sets salaries and policy, the use of project money, are all are equal. And lastly, equal in promotion to leadership positions on the field. Um, when I think about a qualification of a leader and how would we select a leader, I think about, well, the person who serves as a leader should, number one, have mastery in the language. It's the person who knows the language the best. It's the one, it's the person who has long-term cultural knowledge. They really know the culture. And you only get a deeper understanding of a culture once you've been there three, four, five years in the culture, studying it. And another qualification is people skills and administrative skills uh, to lead. So leadership, promotion, and positions are not based on gender, and they're not based on marital status. Rather, they're based on abilities to be an effective leader. So this brings us to the division of the missionary. And... Missions in the 21st century is calling for a more non-traditional lifestyle. The current frontiers where we need missionaries are remote places. They're isolated places. And they're places of contest, meaning religious tension. And so you're going into a place that you're going to be met with resistance. These are places that are the frontiers of missions. And, um, you know, so it's calling for us to go out and embrace this non-traditional lifestyle. Now, let me pause here. I want to say something to you. I get excited when I get up here and I get to talk to people, young people, as I look around this room and I see young faces. You guys are why I get up in the morning. I teach, and the younger the students they get, the better they get. So don't believe the line you've heard. I've heard it too. I've heard the sermons. I love this present generation. I love you guys. You are healthier. You have some good things that I feel are going to bring more balance to what previous generations have had weaknesses. So I've heard the sermons about, oh, this generation is going to hell in a handbasket and all this craziness. No, you're not. I even hear people say that you're not spiritual. Let me tell you, you're really spiritual. The problem is, is you know, your spirituality doesn't look like an older generation's spirituality. So, and when we talk about non-traditional lifestyle, you guys, you're not living for a bigger bank account. I like young people because I know you're going to do this. I don't put this up here and say, whoa, this is a big challenge. No. You guys, you, you will pack your bag and probably be a backpack, okay? <laughs> and, 
and you'll head off and you're willing to take the challenge. I know. Because after the economic crisis here in America, thinking changed. Suddenly all the toys that we live for, you know, you worked all these years to get another toy to put in your garage. We realized toys weren't very valuable. We worked all those years to put more money in our bank account. And overnight, our savings and bank accounts and stocks or whatever it was in was no longer there. In fact, you guys, because of the baby boomer generation who have these absorbent retirement accounts, my parent, I work two jobs. My parents still make more on social, what they draw on Social Security than I'm making my salary. So you not want to, you're not going to fall for the lie. You want a purpose. And this is, right now I'm doing research in this very area. Missions is losing young people because we're not giving them a purpose. You want a purpose. Money's not enough for you because you already have it. You grew up with it. And you're healthy. You come, and the first thing when I sit down with young people, they say to me, so, who are gonna go with, who's going to go with me? I need people. I'm like, what a bright idea. <laughs> you know, Previous generations, they just thought they would go out and live on an island by themselves, all by themselves, and they would just be emotionally healthy people. And I had to go out and visit them before, while they were having great bouts of depression to tell them, do you think maybe it's because you're out here on this island by yourself? No, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> you guys have a lot going for you. You know you need people. You know you can't do it by yourself, and you're looking to resource yourself. The baby boomers, you have to almost knock them down to tell them they need these things. So you guys, in a lot of ways, you're healthier. So you're willing for this challenge. I'm not, I have faith in you guys because you're saying yes. You're saying yes to the call. And the fact that there's almost 3,000 people here this weekend at this conference, and the greatest demographic at this conference is a response from young people. You guys got you got you got some stuff together, okay? You, you, okay, just want to let you know that in case nobody's told you in a while. But you're saying yes to the call, and but our greatest challenge, our greatest challenge for the missionary is to go and have spiritual food. Because when a person is single, their capacity for spiritual food, it's not a small pantry. It's an expanded. It's a walk-in closet, okay? <laughs> That's their spiritual pantry. It's a walk-in closet. And so Paul, actually what he said in Scripture, had some deeper meaning spiritually. When you're not married, you have this deep, capacity spiritually. Actually, actually, our spiritual, where our spirituality flows out of us, it's the same place where our sexuality flows out of our soul. It's the same structure. And when you're not channeling 
emotionally into another person, you turn up the volume what you're channeling toward God. Now, you need to turn up the volume what you're channeling to those around you, too. But spiritual food is very, very key to a single. And if you're here and you're you're ministering to singles, uh, you may need to go take some classes in spiritual formation because they don't want the simple Bible study. They don't want, let's get together and eat hot dogs and see who can get together and date. That's shallow. We want real food. Bring on the steak, okay? The spiritual steak. In fact, I had to learn this myself. When I started leading the retreats for single missionaries, every year I had to turn up, increase the spiritual food I was serving. And actually one year, the whole retreat was about how to connect with God with different worship styles and different worship formats. And we did about seven. See, I, was single, I saw eyes light up when I said that in this room. I'm talking to single people now. And every year I find that more and more and deeper and deeper spiritual food has to be there for singles. And there's, a, there's just this thirst uh, and, you know, just like the Desert Fathers, just like the Desert Fathers of the faith, uh, they gave themselves, and I, I still reflect on this, how they gave themselves to mustatic uh, orders because they could not quench their spiritual thirst. And they went out and lived in these monasteries. Go visit those monasteries. It's unbelievable. But they had a quench, a spiritual thirst. Well, I want to talk to you about something even deeper. I want to talk to you about your sexuality. Now, I know there's been a lot of assumptions on this topic, but I want to emphasize to you, unless you have any doubt, you are fully Sexual. (laughs) You don't become a sexual person when you get married. And if you're not relating sexually, you're very frustrated. And intimacy must be a part of that structure. Okay, now everyone's quiet in this room. They're going to (laughs) listen. Okay, you're you're going to tell me how as a single to be sexual. Okay, yes. See... As a single, a lot of the Christian and mission organizations, they don't talk to singles about their sexuality. And so we walk around wondering, what's wrong with us? And because there's a structure in us and nobody's helping us to develop the connection in our life. Let me, let me sort of get down to the very basics so you can understand this concept. I've been studying this in a research project now for many years, still trying to write it up. Um, but basically, what is sexuality? Let me define that. Because all the garbage the world's told you, the trash that's been thrown your way, 
to pollute what God gave you? Because you know where we get the idea of sexuality from in Scripture? It's, it's an image. It's in Scripture. It comes from the Trinity. The Godhead itself and how it relates is the picture of sexuality in Scripture. And when you are fully sexual, you, sexuality is about connection. It's not all this goo-goo-ga-ga stuff you, you hear about. It's simply about two people emotionally connecting, having an understanding that leads to a physical connection. In fact, God even designed your body, your anatomy, where what happens in this exchange of reflecting love to another is you actually enter into the body of another person. It's all about connection. So now let me tell you how you can create a sexual addiction. Take connection out of it, and you'll have an illness. If it's not about love toward another person and an emotional, communicative connection, there is nothing else. And that's why in sexual addiction, there's a hunger and it never gets satisfied because you're eating the wrong food. You need to start eating relational connection, not genital expression. And so what does this tell us? It tells me that we as single people, we need to be having deep friendships. We need to be having deep intimacy where we connect and people understand us. And we have friends. And they just don't, they go deep with us in our life. We really trust people. And you can't isolate yourself. And mission sometimes works against this because if you isolate yourself, you'll start becoming unhealthy. And it may come out in different ways like depression, anxiety, other things. But you have to connect with people. That is part of your sexuality, is emotional connection. But also just the fact of being in touch with your body. Okay, you don't just, you're not granted a body when you get married. No, you have a body now. You know, I think of how sports is actually very sexual. um, Because sports always involves a lot of touch and doing things to demonstrate your body, okay? And so I find, you know, I talk to a lot of singles, well, when do you feel very masculine? When do you feel very feminine? And if I ask a man or woman the question, they'll give me a list of things. And so that is connecting to your sexuality. Those things that connect to your gender and uh, identity, So, also, you have to have this deep relating. So, not just a surface relating. Now, can I say this in a nice way? (laughs) Um, Internet dating, it just does not exist. Okay? Um, I want to go because this is usually where singles go to look for this connection. And the reason why I cause a 
bring a pause here is because the dangers of the Internet can be rather great on the field. So let me just, I like to take the word dating out of it and just use the word, it's the Internet introductions. That's all you're doing. And it's great. Meeting someone on the Internet, that's great. Well, why not? You know, they're not at your church, are they? Okay, they're not at mine either. Okay. And um, so what a novel idea to go online and have a much broader pool of people that you can meet someone that is more compatible with you. I think that's a great idea. Nothing wrong with it. But what you need to know to safeguard yourself, especially for field missionaries, they need to know it's only an introduction. That's it. And because to date, it's a relationship. And you need to be in person. A relationship is not over the phone. It's not Skype, okay, or Instagram or any of these other nice tools. You want to know this person. Really know this person. And if the relationship starts to go to a deeper level like, okay, we're getting very serious here, and this might really lead to something long-term, then you need to move to a very serious dating relationship stage that you need to be present. Go move to that. Create a situation where you can be together for a year daily. I don't even believe in weekend dating. Anyone can be nice on the weekend. When they don't have the stress of work and all these things that frustrate them during the week, it's nice to be, be friendly on Saturday night. I believe in dating uh, because this is going to become very important in your future. And for field personnel, they get to the field, and I really understand this, but there's a tendency you get very isolated, and you think, well, what I need to do is I just need to get married. And so they go online, and out of desperation, they start talking with people they would never, ever talk to if they were sitting in this room. Ever. And I'm seeing a pattern as a dynamic where then the single... Quickly, it's like this explosion because when you're desperate, when you're hurting and it's medication to your pain, then you bypass. When there's an urgency to get married, beware. There should never be an urgency to get married. I mean, what's the hurry? So that usually tells us if you're in a hurry to get married, that's a red flag. Anybody who pressures you to get married now I would question that all day long. There is a problem here. Am I supposed to be, are, we going, are you going to fix something in their life? Because, you know, you know what the real bottom line is? We have big holes in us as people. And the only person that can fully love us is God. Amen. And the only person who can fully understand us, and make us feel complete is God and not another person. And any marriage you're in is not going to be, those needs are not going to be met. 
they'll be partially met, hopefully. But only we're seeking something from a person that only God can give us. And so that usually creates this urgency. Marry me so you can fix me. Oh, wow. Run. Okay? <laughs> um, so no, that's not possible. But if a person knows we're going to love one another and pray God give us wisdom as we journey together and mature us together and we grow together as we press into God, all right, we, we're thinking about the same thing. But let me tell you the downside. The downside of these emergency marriages are urgent marriages. <laughs> urgent care. Urgent marriages. Okay. These urgent marriages is they get online, they meet someone. There's a very short dating time where they're not really together very much at all. And community involvement is not engaged in this process at all. And suddenly they pop up in a couple months and say, now I'm engaged and I'm marrying this person next month. So between the time they met and they married, it's like three, four, five, six months. You want me to tell how long those marriages last? Not longer than the dating period did. I have a whole list of single missionaries who fell in this trap. And you know what? After the divorce, did they go back to the mission field? Oh, no. Your missions career is over now. So this is rather serious, what I'm saying, how we can meet social needs to stay healthy and not do unhealthy things that endanger us. So what I'm saying is connect to singles around you. And that can be from other agencies Don't just say, well, there's not another single on my team, so I can't relate to someone. No, you may have to get, you know, creative. Um, But you need to connect. That's not optional. That's a must. And with that, I'm going to bring it to a time of Q&A if you have questions, because I've touched on a lot of topics, and I keep just skipping across them. But um, if you have a question... Please raise your hand, and I'll see if I can attempt to address it. Yes, Bill. Yeah, you said that, that uh, after they get divorced, they don't go back to the mission field. Is that their personal choice, or that's because the boards don't want them anymore? They're, the boards don't want them anymore. Because if you if you were make such a error in judgment, and there's also shame. Um, the missionaries I've dealt with, they great deal of shame how as, i was a career missionary and i've been on how did i fall for it? how did i they sit in my office and say how did i get there can you explain that to me and i'm like yeah you isolated yourself and you didn't involve people in the process and you played with fire and you got burnt but it was a relational issue you know any other question yes Um, I started looking at uh, were you know was, was I doing something that was creating this unsafe? Like I actually moved my residence at that point 
because I felt like I was being targeted in some way. Um, but also, you just have to take a lot of safety precautions, but not fear. You can't be fearful, but do be safe, not to leave anything in your car. Well, okay, that's gone. Not to, just doing things that would be protective. Not going downtown in the market and talking loud in English. That probably would uh, put a bullseye right on top of your head, okay. <laughs> Breaking my apartment. Yeah, usually the robberies and things I've dealt with, there hasn't been a physical violence toward the person. I haven't seen a lot of that for missionaries, but they do take things. So I would not take anything that I was not ready to lose abroad. So like a very valuable family photo. I would not take that abroad. Yeah. Yes. Two things, um, with the invention of, hopefully if you're in a place with the internet connection, and just being able to use Skype, if you can't use the video part, the audio, helps to say, I'm going to make an appointment to talk with a friend back home on a certain night of the week or something. That helps, or to really seek out mentors. And um, that's another thing I like about you guys. You seek plenty of mentors and multiple mentors. And so ask someone, hey, you know another person who's working maybe an hour away from where you're at? Hey, why don't you travel halfway? We'll meet halfway. Why don't we just get together and pray once every two weeks? But you may have to be creative to do that. But you still know, you need to know you need it, okay? Just don't say, oh, I can not do that. Yes. Okay, that's a much deeper question. Um, it would take me longer to answer it. But when you get dependency, like I must meet you every week or I must Skype with you every week, then I would say maybe pull back and focus, have more people in your network. It's the must, the demand. And um, get more people, not just – and if you're – if you are an introverted person, it's easy to get overly focused, maybe in just one or two people in your relational network. Yeah. Yes. Can I just add something to that? Yeah. Um, I have a friend of mine who uh, became a missionary and had a very, very rough start, um, not month two into, um, and had to fly back to the United States because she could not emotionally handle. Um, went through a handful of psychological tests put her on a medication. I'm not advocating for medication, mm -hmm. but I feel like sometimes we don't prepare psychologically ahead of time or mm -hmm. even chemically to find out if you do have some kind of a, a depression that you don't know about or an anxiety. And 
um, you know, one medication, and she's been a career missionary for 15 years now with Wonderful. no problems. But the one medication was the one thing that solved everything for her. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, had I known about that before, I never would have gone right in without some kind of a pre-testing. And she said, some of the organizations don't prepare you emotionally necessarily. They want you to do the get in there and do your language training and get in there and do all of these things that involve the, you know, the, the precursors to yeah. what you need to do. But she said sometimes they leave out that um, that health part of the training. And so she just really was an advocate for making sure that whatever organization you use, you need to make sure that you do the health aspect of it. Yes. Yes. Very important. Very important. All right. Yes. I got one. Um, hopefully this won't take you too long. But I was um, – as a, as a, I was a part of a mission trip that went to Guatemala. A lot of them were married, and I was not, and um, that didn't work out so well. Um, but I was wondering, um, can single missionaries become easy targets for other people to kind of, as you know, to be attacked or to be? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me as if you're not functioning as a like a pretty firm group with other people watching each other's backs. It seems like that could easily happen. Um, yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen necessarily singles attacked more than, but I would say it's more women in general who are attacked. But if you're living alone, that does make you a target. And I think that was part of what made me target as well uh, at that particular time. But I really encourage missionaries after they get to the field and if, to get to know singles. Um, and if you find someone, meet someone that, you enjoy their company, you find compatibility, you have a roommate. That's a big help. I don't like forced intimacy. <laughs> you know what that is. You, you, you're, oh, there's two singles going from our mission to that country. Okay, so you have to go together. You have to live at the same place. Oh! And I don't like that because it usually uh, doesn't turn out well. But um, being proactive once you get to the field and meeting people and then saying, yeah, I would like a roommate, you know. But in your case, Katie, it sounds like in a long-term setting in a team, um, there's two classifications of missionaries. And when we create a team, we need to give attention to these two boxes we have here. One is the box with children, and the second is the box without children. Notice it wasn't married. It was children, right? So married people who do not have children with them on the field um, or do not have children, period, they are in the singles, with the singles. So if I were going to put together a team, I would tend to put the people without children, whether they're married or single, together. Because those are the people who are going to go to the airport at midnight. And (laughs) if you have children... You are not going to the airport at midnight, I can promise you, okay? So that's what makes, like, it's a lifestyle. It's not that people are being difficult. It's just really a lifestyle difference. And we need to, because I feel sorry for the couples who have children, and they have other people on their team that's not in that same lifestyle, because then there's no one for them to talk to about child rearing, you know? So I think there's two, two dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes, Bill. Bob. Bob. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, how uh, people were singles 
were or were not uh, involved in the mission field. And I've actually seen brochures before that says, we are actively looking for married couples and single women. And I was just shocked. And then I went to the Ukraine, and I was working with uh, Wesleyan uh, Bible College. It was start, starting there. And uh, there was a young man, young single guy, and of course, all the college girls thought, you know, because all, all the Americans are millionaires, but, you know, he was a millionaire and all that, and they were going throwing themselves at him, and, I mean, it caused so much turmoil, and he never dated the college kids, but he would date once in a while, and this girl might wear makeup, and the college said no makeup, or she might have a necklace in the college, and they finally kicked him out and told him, leave, and they did not want to be involved with him, and so he had to come back for mm-hmm. counseling, but he had remembered meeting these people in a um, uh, heart hospital in the Ukraine. And he, he went back and he probably saved more people in a day. That entire group that was running him down all the time. I was over there and I was just yeah. shocked. Because he's, he, the, the doctors in the, in the heart hospital said it takes 11 days for a patient to recover. In the last year since you've been here, now people are recovering in seven days. Wow. Because you tell them that you know, God is in control. One thing I would say to that, today there's a lot of prejudice in our society, and uh, it's not against who we may think. I'm so glad today I'm not a white male, because, oh boy, you have a bullseye on your head. Uh, And when you go overseas, you have one on your head too, and um, from a lot of different people. And so I just want to encourage us, because there's an assumption. Let me give you the mental assumption behind that. You know, women, we always say, I really dislike when men just sexualize us. Okay? I'm sure none of us have thought that. But, <laughs> but we do the same toward men. What's behind the example you gave is we assume a man is just a sexual being. He's a sexual machine, and he never could think anything pure beyond that and so therefore we are only expecting something really bad and it ensures he's going to be a problem and so okay then we have sexualized men so all right well we're wrapping up we have one more question okay rocket right here on the front row oh, yes okay. Yes, there's a lot of hope for the single baby boomers. A lot of hope. Um, But to be in missions, you mean? Oh, yes. I love, you know who my favorite people were on the field? Uh, When I would get short-term people who were older. Good. Good, that's even better. That's better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you because, see, you would come and you would bring your life experience, your emotional maturity. You would bring a lot of things that you would have to offer. And I love to have older people on the field. Great. Our last question, and then we're closing. Oh. Hmm. So forth, and she's been in Zimbabwe for a good 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so, 
Yes. All right. Thank you for that comment. Blessings on you.